0: A bit lit celebrating research and creativity of all kinds. Trevor, Carla, I'm absolutely delighted to see you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. We start our films by asking our contributors to introduce themselves and to tell us a little bit about their work and also um, about the project we're discussing. Trevor, perhaps if we start with you first, could you tell us um, who you are and what you do, please?
1: Thank you for having us, Andy. Uh, I'm Trevor Buffoni. I'm based in Houston, Texas. And I'm primarily a Latinx theater scholar, but I also dabble in social media, youth studies, young adult literature. I'm sort of a one man band for better or for worse. Um, Sometimes I love it, you know, (laughs) and right, I also teach high school. So I'm in my high school classroom right now. And I also, you know, teach part-time at the University of Houston. Um,
0: Yeah, that's me. Perfect. Thank you. And I should say, in order to make this film, you two have very kindly agreed to Talk sense and talk work very early in your day. So, thank you very much for that. Uh, with that thing through with time differences. Early um, bird gets the worm, right? Yes, exactly. Um, Carla, how about yourself?
2: Um, I'm Carla Delegata. I'm an assistant professor of English at Florida State University. So, I'm currently in Tallahassee, Florida. And my primary research and teaching fields are shakespeare latinx theater and lgbtq theater so i teach kind of across uh, two different time periods and and this work comes out of uh, kind of a long a long-term project of talking about latinx themed shakespeare productions and trevor and i met actually through our work in the latinx theater commons uh, 6 years ago or something like that and so we were brought together through through that type of work and and it's been a, a great joy to work on this
0: with him great thank you um and uh, i'd like to hear more about that collaboration because i'm always fascinated to kind of hear the behind the scenes work that's happened as well as the the public thing that we're celebrating so do share anything you feel comfortable sharing but maybe can you tell us what the is it what the it is the this of the The thing that you've been doing (laughs) so
1: uh we have a book that uh was published on june 30th uh, called Shakespeare and Latinidad with Edinburgh University Press. And it's a collection of 25, 24, 26? 25. Carla might know <laughs> the, the right number. It's a lot of um, essays that are scholarly essays. There's also practitioner essays and interviews that look at this phenomenon of Latinx theater in the United States that is Shakespeare themed or is riffing off of Shakespeare, remixing Shakespeare. And so that's,
0: that's why we're here today. Yeah, great. Congratulations on the book. I always say that I never do live math. You know, I never try and count something live. But, so well done, being yeah. brave and working out how many chapters there are. <laughs> there's a lot. There's something yeah. for everyone, right? <laughs> I mean, that that immediately raises questions about the kind of form of the book. That sounds, I mean, you can tell me, but it sounds like these might be shorter form essays, but trying to get more voices in. I, I'm kind of interested in, in that in itself. Like, um, you know, there's a kind of inclusive decision there just at the level of how many essays to have.
2: Yes, we, we have some kind of standard-length, longer essays uh, for from scholars and so forth, but what we really wanted to do in this burgeoning field is make it democratic. And so we have 25 contributors and we have shorter essays that are 2,500 words and longer ones. We have a few dialogues as well with Um, some actors and directors who are in conversation with each other. And about two-thirds of our contributors are university faculty, um, but a lot of them have MFAs and they are scholar practitioners. And so we've really divided up the book. We have two different roadmaps uh, for, for the readers, one kind of going in the order in which it's structured, parts one through four. But then also, if people are interested in acting, there are actors who've written essays and actors in dialogue, as well as directors and vocal coaches as well as scholarship so there are kind of two different ways that the book can be read and and hopefully there are shorter and longer essays that can serve different purposes again a classroom or for theater practitioners and scholars too.
0: Oh it sounds so great and um I, I could spend the entire film talking about the kind of form of the book but I'm not going to do that uh, we can come back to that but I feel like firstly just for our audience's benefit we should just um unpack a little bit of the content of this book I, I'm already wondering if Latinx will be a familiar term to absolutely everyone watching this film, and if we might think about that, and then just to think about Latinx theatre and Shakespeare together, um, I'll leave it to you to decide where we go there, but could you tell us a bit more?
1: Uh, Carla, do you want to take Latinx, and then I'll jump into the book Origins?
2: <laughs> sure. So, so Latinx, uh um, According to the American government, there, uh, and I say that starting with that in that way for a reason. According to the American government, there are four races um, white or Caucasian, um, black or African American, um, indigenous or Native American, and Asian. And then as for ethnicity, um, it's on our census as Hispanic slash Latino. And in MENA, Middle Eastern North African has gained a lot of traction and so forth, but I don't think it was officially on the census. So people who are, Latino, who are the, the people of the Americas who have typically a shared geographic or in political history. Hispanic um, also includes Spain and is more of a term that's based on language of, of countries that have Spanish as a dominant language. So there is a lot of overlap, but um, but Latino is more commonly used. Uh, so the people who identify as Latino can be of any race, um, predominantly Um, I think more than 75% of people who identify as Latino are are racially white, but there are people who are mixed races and so forth. Um, And over 18% of the population of the United States is Latinx. And so this term Latino, as we know Spanish is a gendered language. Um, So for more equality, it, it was Latina slash O. And then it went to Latin or some other forms, but then Latin X. So the X is there to meant um, there's no gender. Gender is not a binary. Um, some people take issue with the X now. It can be pronounced Latinx or Latinx. I prefer Latinx because it keeps the Spanish sound of Latino um, and Latin X sounds a little racy, you know. Uh, but um, so now some people are saying Latine ending with an E. So you'll hear a bunch of these terms, but this type of language play is germane to Latinidad. Latinidad means lat- Latinity or, or Latinus, right, in the present tense. And that type of language play, I've always associated with Shakespeare as well. Like this, this kind of complexity, it's changing and it can be a lot of fun and, and sometimes also challenging, right? So, so that's the term that we're using and we're referring to people who are are within the United States or currently live in what's the geographic um, boundaries of the United States versus Latin America.
0: That was a brilliant account, thank you.
1: Fast forward a bit and I was in Texas, I'm in Texas, but a group of um, scholars in Texas, theater scholars, uh, literature scholars, we were putting together a symposium on Latinx Shakespeare's and specifically ways that uh, Shakespeare was intersecting with theater in the borderlands, um, in Texas, and with Latinx population. From the very, very beginning, we're like, who's our keynote? And everyone said, Carla Delgada. Like, it was not even a question. Like We had to have Carla. I guess that was 2018? Yeah? Yeah. Um, in April, uh, it was a one-day thing. It was really, really great. And there was clearly a lot of work being done in the field, right? Both scholarly work and also artistic work. And from that moment, this book kind of was born. This field of Latinx Shakespeare's has really blown up. Uh, and exploded in the last three years since we started the project. We kind of deliberately moved slowly because of that, because we didn't want to put the book out too soon, right? We wanted the conversations to actually be able to emerge. And so now we're seeing um, this intersection happening all over the place all the time.
2: When I started my graduate program um, in 2010, I wanted to, I think my original, as, as the way scholarly topics develop, I, I think my original intention was to write about American Shakespeare festivals and what they mean to minority cultures, you know, in plural. And um, I I had met Ayana Thompson and I knew of her work um, and, and talking about race on stage. Um, and there's a lot of work by a number of scholars on black bodies um, on stage and blackness in the text uh, um, Alexa Wang had just published Chinese Shakespeare's. I'm like, oh, where's the stuff on Latinos? And there wasn't anything. I thought I would grab all three of these pieces and put them together and make an, try to make an intervention um, in contemporary theater. And there wasn't anything. And the, the questions I got in the pushback were, do Latinos do Shakespeare? I'm like, of course they do. And I and I, I think I when I pitched the project as a graduate student, I had, uh, found to use Columbusing terms seven productions and I was grasping and I really was by the time I finished the dissertation what, what
1: year was that carla um
2: 2011 and and some of that has to do with searching knowing what to ask knowing who to find and some of it had to do with simply not a lot going on and, and then the Latinx Theatre Commons forms in 2013. Actually, um, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was a problematic Latinx-themed Shakespeare production um, that, that started that. I, I started circulating and, and realizing what's going on. When I finished the dissertation, I had tracked over 40 productions. Uh, and then things just started to kind of hit a certain stride. Uh, a playwright and activist named Luis Alfaro, who was my colleague at my last institution, um, a MacArthur genius, was named the first playwright-in-residence at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which is the United States, States' largest repertory theater. And with that, Trevor and I also met up too with um, the Latinx Playwrights Project that was held at, at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, where I had been going for years as a Shakespearean, and then I was there with my Latinx theater colleagues. And that, like, what was happening? I didn't, um, you know, and so so these worlds kind of started to collide as I had been working on it, as other people started working on it. And, you um, And so that's kind of where we are. At this point, um, I have a monograph specifically on Latinx Shakespeare's that will be out in 2022. And I have tracked over 130 Latinx-themed Shakespeare productions, and and most of which have occurred in the last 20 years. But now I can really historicize them back to 1969 um, and some antecedents before then. So kind of with the formation of this conception of of an ethnic category of Hispanic and Latino. So um, that's kind of where it's coming from. But even as Trevor and I have been working on this, more people are producing this art. And so that's really helpful, but it also changes the way that we theorize it and, and, and are able to understand it.
0: And that's right. where I'd like to go next, I think, is, is the practice-based nature of, of your work and the book and, and this project. Before, before I do that, if it's all right just to linger with a tantalising detail that Carla gave us um, from, from uh, your work more generally, Carla, and it sounds like we should get you back next year to celebrate your, your monograph. Um, oh, yeah. But if you went from um, having this kind of relative paucity of productions to work with early on in the project, but you now have 130 going all the way back to 1969, I, I, I wonder if the, the recent um, explosion in, in productions, has that made it easier to research historical productions? Does it kind of develop a language which makes it easier to go back to the archive and back to the historical record? Uh,
2: actually, what's been more helpful is that a lot of theaters have been scanning in old information. Yeah. There were productions that I looked up in 2012 that I was contacting people and so now people have uploaded old programs. I've actually purchased a number, a lot of ephemera on eBay, um, strangely, <laughs> um, periodically. I'll- take two hours, watch an old movie and query a whole bunch of things. But yes, the the way, what I'm querying for, as well as a network of people who I'm in touch with, where it becomes complicated is the, the idea, the, the label of Hispanic slash Latino was, was coming into formation. So for example, Paul Robeson, the first African-American to play Othello um, with a white cast on a Broadway stage, that you see this picture of, of Robeson um, down like kneeling and his Iago is standing behind him looking threatening. And so the the what everyone talks about is there's an African American actor playing Othello, which nowadays wouldn't actually get much commentary. But what isn't talked about is his Iago is Jose Ferrar, who's Puerto Rican. Um, and you would, we would now talk about a Latino um, Iago, but he was considered simply to be white. He becomes the first Latino to win an Academy Award for acting, which he does for Cyrano de Bergerac. And the second is actually Rita Moreno, who's also Puerto Rican for West Side Story. Um, but, but he was just considered to be white. And all of the stereotypes that are applied to Latinx actors today and problematic tropes were not applied to him because, because the ethnic category had not yet been cohered. So, so where it, historicizing Latinidad can be problematic for that reason.
1: Yeah, and that's what Brian uh, Herrera talks about in Latin numbers, stealth Latino performers um, like uh, Ricardo Montalban and yeah, Ferrer. The thing, something that this reminds me of, Carla, is do you think, I I find in Latinx theater there is, as we're starting to, you know, the first generation of Latinx theater makers are now in their 70s, 80s and uh, people are starting to pass on, right? And so I find there is this momentum to archive things, right, to tell, to, to collect oral histories and to like recover what's been lost, right? And so we're starting to find out, just like Carla was saying, about these productions that happened that just weren't recorded, right? No one reviewed them, no one wrote about them. The scripts weren't published, right? Their websites didn't exist. And so it's kind of an exciting time if you're a researcher in this field to really be able to um, work alongside these artists to tell these stories.
2: Right. And one of the things that, that Trevor, I mean, and, and in Latinx theater, that one of one of the challenges and, and exciting opportunities too is that so much happens in a festival context. And I don't mean festival, long-standing theater that has the word festival in its name, but there are a lot of kind of fleeting, not just fleeting productions, but fleeting venues for those productions. Yeah. And so Trevor's work really picks up when it comes to music and dance and, and other aspects of of that type of, of, of theater as well. And so where it, it kind of marries up is is the, these kind of interdisciplinary topics, right, that um, we're both kind of branching out into different
0: ways. Perfect, so theater happens not in conventional theater buildings, but out on the street, in festivals. Um, yeah, wonderful. Like I say, that kind of brings us to where I'd like to go next, which is um, the practice-based nature of your work, and also the way that this book is brought into, co- into, into conversation, scholars and creative practitioners. Um, I kind of just want to ask a really general question so you can take it wherever you want to go. So in a way, I'm just going to say, scholars, creative practitioners, tell me more. But uh, yeah, could you tell us something about what it means to bring bring those two worlds together um, and what the, what the result has been?
1: Well, um, I will say this. there Historically, in the U.S. at least, there has been this divide between scholars and artists, right? Uh, for whatever reason, right? Uh, artists maybe don't trust scholars because maybe scholars have had shady ethical practices in the past, you know, there's always reasons behind this. Uh, When the Latinx Theater Commons was formed in 2013, one of the pillars of the LTC has been scholarship, right? And scholars have been present from the beginning, right? And that was very intentional uh, to create these relationships that could then lead to documentation, uh, books like our book, um, so on and so forth. And so at least in that circle, and I see the same thing happening in Um, African-American theater in the U.S. and MENA and all these different, you know, uh, marginalized communities where there's really a conversation happening in a way that might not have been happening 20 years ago between scholars and artists. And so the other thing I'll say is that a lot of, you know, even the people in our book who are writing a more um, practitioner-based essay, they're still scholars, right? A lot of people are artist scholars. They wear multiple hats. And so I think, you know, what we've done has been try to honor that conversation and to honor this, um, you know, a lot of people think if you're not a PhD, it's not scholarship or you're not a scholar. And I think Carla and I both really reject that, right? There are brilliant people who have MFAs who can produce, you know, cutting-edge scholarship. And we hope that our book, you know, succeeds in that endeavor. But I don't know if, Carla, you want to add to that.
2: Well, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and. Trevor also is a co-editor on two different books that are um, archiving a very important Latinx theater festivals, one in 2014 and one in 2017. So just um,
1: so I'm, the, I'm of- the festival person, I didn't realize that.
2: Yes, yeah, you're the festival person. But, but yes, on this aspect in, the, in a way of understanding art making, and I, I always use the term art very broadly in the sense that theater, film, um, device theater, whatever it might be, but in that the act, I think Trevor and I are both certainly in agreement with this idea that it's not just scholars taking a theoretical lens and applying it to some art, that we understand the practice of art making as, as critical inquiry in itself. Right. Yeah. That in order to adapt, that is that is a critical approach, um, and that that there is that that when people make art, when you engage this type of work, that that it is scholarly practice, and in a way that our society doesn't value, and um, doesn't get the same label, and so understanding it in that way, it wasn't like oh, how many practitioners do we have versus scholars? We never had a conversation like that. And, and some of the playwrights who wrote for us, um, Octavio Solis on translation, same with MacDalia Cruz, an actor um, named Frankie J. Alvarez who was on Looking, he played Hamlet, Prince of Cuba. He's the first person to play Hamlet in the United States at any major theater um, as a Latino or Latin American. There have been other Latinx actors to do so, but he was the first one to play him um, and and so he's writing about acting in different languages um, and what that means to his performance. And um, he has an MFA from Juilliard and his his essay is just as scholarly as an academic and theorized as many other kind of scholarly essays that I've read. So um, yeah, yeah.
0: Brilliant. I keep meaning to ask you both, um, MFA means? Oh, <laughs> master of
1: fine arts. So uh, typically the people in our book have, um, that degree in playwriting or um, directing and acting.
2: Yeah. And and it's a terminal degree. So oh, yeah,
1: it's a terminal degree. Um, yeah. You, you write a thesis years, that sounds
0: Like a degree you get and then someone kills you. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, no, what it, is
0: a terminal it, degree?
1: It, 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 <laughs> I think what yeah. what kills you is student loan debt. So
0: <laughs> yeah, this is the you US. <laughs> you know. uh,
2: right. No, it just means you wouldn't earn a PhD afterwards. So thank yeah.
0: you. Um, I mean, this is very dear to um, uh, a bit that the project we're speaking on now, which has tried to bring together practitioners and scholars, um, and I'm always excited to hear about what I think you're telling me is, you know, the co-creation of art and knowledge, and particularly knowledge which remaps, you know, the ways in which knowledge has been used and abused in the past to favour non-marginalised communities. (laughs) Communities are being centred by the ways we've told historical and contemporary facts and stories. Um, so, I'm really interested in, in that. I kind of want to point our listeners to um, a couple of other films in case they want to follow up on any of this. So, the Tide Project, run by Nandini Das, which is on the history of um, immigration in early modern England, um, worked with creative practitioners as well. So, if people want to follow up on this, there's a film there. And Carla also talked about um, casting decisions around a fellow. And we made a, a film with Miles Greer, who is very convinced that 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 play has been written for white actors and should not be touched by black actors is essentially what he ends up uh, arguing in the film. So if anyone wants to follow up on any of these ideas, um, those would be uh, places to go. Um, do you mind telling us some sort of kind of big headlines coming out of the book then? So you've got these twenty five contribu- contributions, um, which already feels like, therefore, you're going to have a lot of stuff in the book. Uh, as editors to to make decisions about you know do we want those things to end up speaking to each other or actually are we quite excited if they don't I'm thinking about books I've edited in the past where I have to kind of make that decision about pulling things together or letting them sit in different places but do you feel there are kind of um, headline stories ideas coming out of the book that we might hear about now and will tempt uh, listeners to the book? Um, Carla maybe we start with you. Yeah,
2: uh, you know, we, uh, <laughs> I have ideas, but yeah. Uh, well, part of what I, I also want to, you know, what this association of Shakespeare and Latinidad, like why why them together? It's not just, yes, Latinx people also do Shakespeare, of course, um, and more and more so. But also, in when it comes to this intersection, it o- it always involves some level of translation or language play um, even if Spanish is used um, in a in a minor way, indigenous languages, other languages, there's always some modification, right? Is there? And and so, what does it mean to to take a group of people because Latinx people as as an ethnic construct did not exist in the early modern period? Shakespeare doesn't write of any Latinos. There's one mention of Mexico in in The Merchant of Venice, but um, it's not as it's not a recovery project. It's not about misrepresentation um, in the Shakespearean canon. It's about a group of people, um, what does cultural translation mean when that culture as a concept didn't exist um, in the literature that we're talking about? So we have people who are talking about playing Shakespeare as Latinx, and we have people who are like, I'm Latinx and I've done Shakespeare. And what all of the challenges, um, assumptions, diegetically, right, you know, um, in translation, acting methods that involve um, Shakespeare and English when people's first language is Spanish or when when actors are are asked to act in Spanish they're like I'm bilingual but I've never gone through actor training in Spanish right you know and and all of these kind of minor and like um, kind of Finer things, right? Um, so, so we're talking a lot about bilingual and semi-bilingual theater, as well as acts of translation, whether they're literary translation or cultural translation. So, I didn't answer your question in a cohesive way, but but Trevor can speak more to the organization of the book. But that those are all like the, the things that were. Grasping but
1: about. absolutely, and I mean the so there's four sections of the book. Uh, they're roughly even, and the first three sections look at uh, like translation adaptation. Dramaturgy, um, I don't know why I can't remember the third, um, <laughs> but the, the, basically what Carla just explained. And the fourth section, which is my favorite section, not just because I'm in that section, um, <laughs> you know, um, is about the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and specifically the work happening in, in Ashland, Oregon. And for those that are not familiar with Ashland, Oregon, it is a rural town in Southwest Oregon with a with a very low Latinx population, uh, Oregon as a state is not necessarily known as a place with a high Latinx population either. But this is a place where the work has really been concentrated in the last uh, you know ten less than ten years, let's say, um, for a number of reasons. And so we look at how all of these themes emerge in this one rural location because on all you know a lot of times when we talk about Latinx peoples in the U.S. We're talking about Florida, uh, Texas, California, New York, Chicago. We're looking at these urban centers, right? I mean, not not we in this conversation, but people tend to associate Latinos with major cities, right? And so what does it mean when this intervention is happening in a place that is not a big city, it's a rural place, um, it is a place that is hard to get to, you know? Um, it, you have to fly to Seattle or Portland or San Francisco, then get on a small plane, go to Medford, then you get on a bus or like a cab or some sort of something and you drive 20 30 minutes. Uh, and so it's a remote place, right? But this is a place that you know, is a regional the- a major major regional theater that what, what, when did Bill Roush take over like 2008? Yeah or so. Um, and when he came in, uh, he brought in Carmen Morgan who uh, founded, runs Art Equity, right? And they did extensive equity, diversity, inclusion training with all of their staff. And so really they radically changed the DNA of this theater company, OSF. Um, and as a result, you started to see these really inclusive um, pro- inclusive programming start to happen. Um, and really putting money into the, the community and putting money into supporting Latinx theater. Um, And it really, you know, the conversation emerged with Shakespeare, you know, alongside, right? And so that section of the book um, looks at the Play On, um, Play On Festival, Shakespeare, or Play On Shakespeare, which is now its own, you know, nonprofit theater that had um, every Shakespeare play translated by a, or translated into contemporary English um, by different playwrights. And there were eight Latinx playwrights who did that. So I write about that and then Carta, just kidding, Magdalia, Cruz, Octavio Salis, write about their translation processes. Uh, we have actors who talk about, you know, what this looks like in Oregon, um, so on and so forth. So, you know, there's a lot of conversations happening. Uh, and just like we've said, I know we're beating it over the head. Um, there's really something for everyone. And we, I think, honestly, the work is accessible. Uh, we wanted it to be accessible to students, to, to theater makers, right? Um. So we see this as a really, a critical, like a dramaturgical intervention, right? For anyone looking to produce culturally relevant Shakespeare, whether it's Latinx or not, you know, I think there's something of value there.
2: Right. And, and, and sorry. one thing I'll add, I'll add on. is that an echo. Um, one thing I'll add on to that is the last section is this kind of case study of OSF, but throughout the book. We're talking about productions. The the authors are talking about productions um, in Latinx theaters in Portland, in uh, in a university production in in California, to a fully Spanish language production in Miami in a community theater. And so they range. It's not just um, kind of the the places that you think would be mentioned, right? As well as the Public Theater in New York and the Goodman, like kind of these established theaters as well. So. But it's actually
1: a shockingly low, we thought about this, um, because there was this assumption we saw earlier this year about um, Latinx theater is in cities, Los Angeles, New York City, uh, Chicago. And so then we like went back through our chapters and we're like, where is everything taking place? And our book is very shockingly uh, not LA, not New York, not Chicago focused. It's there, but it's not Yeah, this conversation is happening across the country, even in places where you would really not expect it to happen, like Oregon.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I guess my kind of final question with this is just to think a bit more about um, Latinx plus Shakespeare and what that gives us. And um, Carla's point that there isn't a lot of Latinx to be found in Shakespeare's text, per se, is really important. But I also wonder if some of the work you're doing is kind of undoing something that was happening in Shakespeare's lifetime, which was sort of institutionalising theatre um, in, an, in an urban space which dominates the wider country. You know, Shakespeare himself is someone who leaves a small uh, rural setting and goes to the heart of the metropolis. Um, and theatre is moving away from being festival based and connected to particular moments in, in the calendar year and is, is becoming... Kind of proto-capitalist um, building-based, and it's not all of those things. It's still touring, and in fact, it's touring internationally. Um, but I wonder if Shakespeare's sort of at the beginning of a process which Latin X plus Shakespeare is now helping to undo. That might be um, super banal and just straightforwardly incorrect. I'm just kind of throwing that at you to see what comes back.
2: Well, I, I mean, there are in in this, um, there are a number of ways of, of looking at that. No, I think it's a wonderful proposal right you know and and a premise for for how does this kind of mirror mirror or or um, engage with theater making in the early modern period because some of that does have to do with the creativity and the what are the rules right you know and when it comes to representation there's a lot of conversation about authenticity anachronism you know and what's what are the ethics of representation as well and so there are divergent viewpoints within the Latinx theater community of why are we doing Shakespeare we need to tell our own stories, but there are Latinx playwrights and practitioners who have adapted Molière, Chekhov, certainly the Spanish Golden Age playwrights, a whole bunch of Lorca. Um, Greek and, theater, and, yeah, Greek theater, absolutely. And so some people, it, it may, it's not Latinx as an identity, and and here's the take on what Shakespeare means. There's a whole bunch of different types of engagement of. He's a good playwright, why not, right? It may have to do with generation, it has to do with language, but also where stories, what certain elements kind of seem to fall into place with Latinx culture. Some of my work is about this idea of fatalism or fatalismo, like from Octavio Paz's work right and how this really this romantic idea of dying for love that really kind of blends into Romeo and Julietas right and and it kind of works in that way and so there are certain thematic strings that can come out as well as and when it comes to the comedy of errors and and issues of immigration same with Twelfth Night some of them are kind of politically apt of the moment but also there are just some beautiful speeches that people are like I want to this is how i was trained of course i want to engage with it so so it's not always about this opposition and and representation and a political stance it sometimes it's just people making art
0: great trevor any, any no, I, thoughts? I have nothing to add to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't blame you that was brilliant um thank you so much guys it sounds like a really wonderful book i love trevor's Idea that this will be of value to anyone looking to make culturally, culturally relevant Shakespeare. Um, I'm working at the moment on a production of a, a non-Shakespearean early modern play working with um, queer, transgender uh, and disabled performers and um, I can already see how much value your, your own work will be as we start to have those conversations. So, you know, just selfishly I'm excited to have this conversation and I know that so many people watching and listening will be getting the same value. We, we end our films by asking what the word literature means to you and you're, you're welcome to answer this as professionally or as personally as you like and you're welcome to answer it from your own point of view or from the point of view of you know the other people you've been engaging with in this book what the term literature might mean kind of more generally in a latinx plus shakespeare context maybe if we start with uh, trevor this time
1: okay so to me literature and i think this is where carla and i have found success as a a, a co-editorship is it's living and it's breathing. And for us, it's really rooted in performance. So, you know, we early on both agreed that our book was about performance and theater and not necessarily dramatic literature. But of course, literature is part of that conversation. And so for me, it's something that involves real people. It involves, you know, living, breathing people on a stage um, performing. And that really gives that embodiment, right, Uh, leads to that conversation about representation and inclusivity and social change and all of these different things because as as I as I know as we know um I believe being in co-presence with an audience in front of living breathing people can really you know ignite a different kind of conversation than say something strictly on the page can.
0: thank you if it's okay to ask a follow-up question Trevor I'm fascinated by that because um I uh, agree entirely. I also wonder how that intersects with your work on things like TikTok and internet cultures, where, you know, the living and breathing, we've all lived through a, a year of exactly that being suddenly very difficult. Um, do you mind telling us a bit about how those connect for you or, or don't connect?
1: Oh, um, I think it connects in a very different way. Um, I think social media, specifically TikTok and Dub Smash, has the same potential, but um, it's linking people in a, in a digital space so I write about say how um, different social media apps can like bring people together by replicating trends so like Andy might create a dance trend to uh, I don't know the scissor sisters I don't know and then I don't know why that was the one I said
0: I'm, that's how I'm gonna end might... film I've already I've planned my routine that's how this film is gonna end done um,
1: and then I replicate it so then I'm in dialogue with you I'm mimicking your body I'm mimicking your movements and then Carla comes in and she, Creates her own different spin on it, right? Like, you know, who are these two dudes? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them. And so us all being in conversation, doing the same dance, uh, the same trend, you know, creates this community. It creates this this culture that then will leave, say, Zoom or TikTok. And um, the conversation happens in a, a similar way, but a very different way. I'm not sure if I answer that. I don't wanna take too much
0: time. And uh, no, that's brilliant. Those of you watching this film, do rush to TikTok after watching this so you can see our, our three dances. And yes, uh, show There that. you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carla, it feels like a long time ago now, but the question was, and it's my fault, by the way, uh, but the question was, um, what literature is, what it means to you or to, um, you know, from the point of view of your own, of, of the work?
2: Well, I I majored my undergraduate degrees. I have two degrees in English and two in theater. And, and I had a wonderful undergraduate education, but we focused... I felt so much on dramatic literature that we, I, we didn't get enough theater history and, and understanding of, the, of historical theatrical practice. It was a long time ago, so there's been a lot of research done since then, so um, I'm like, oh, it was before that stuff was, you know. Um, anyway, so, but but I feel, I felt as if I had missed out by not having that education in my, It, it to me, it felt like it damaged my, or it, it it impeded my understanding of the dramatic literature, which is why I switched disciplines for my PhD into a theater program. And so I don't teach dramatic literature without some type of theater history, um, theater practice, performance theory along with it, because because you're missing, you're only getting part of it. But where Trevor and I also meet up in, in our other interests, like his through dance and TikTok, and and my work with um, bilingual. And Spanish theater and so forth. Um, it has to do with orality and the sound of of poetry um, and and of literature and so forth. That reading it aloud um, in any tradition, but that that it becomes incredibly important and you learn something from that. So where musicality, rhythm sound, noise, silences are incredibly important, code switching, linguistic, going back and forth between languages. All this stuff is kind of central to Latinx Shakespeare's, but also to Shakespeare and and to Trevor's work when it comes to dance and music and and so forth. So I think for me, it's the the oral frame of the theater um, and where the visual gets so much um, importance, right? Of course, it's theater, you go and you watch it, but the auditory um, is where I think we're both ramping up Um, what that means, and Latinx Shakespeare's is is the place where it becomes all the more heightened, right? Because when you can't, can you identify a Latinx character and person on the stage? Sometimes, depending on what that means to your ideas about what that, that appearance should mean, but oftentimes ethnicity is conveyed through the oral, through accent and language and so forth. And so that's where I think we really found this project to be incredibly productive. Um, for, for, for in itself, but also for Shakespeare studies and Latinx theatre.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. And that's been a real through story of everything you said in this film, really, that kind of really interesting tension or combination of um, authenticity and representation and the right to claim an identity. But on the other hand, also to be, also to have the right just to play across various identities and to be allowed just to be an artist and a creative. Um, I think that's incredibly exciting. I can't wait to read the book. Uh, congratulations. To both of you. And thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for having us. Take care.